It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This is the FCB Radio Network, home of the best personalities and where real talk lives. Online at fcbradio.com. FCB. This is Views from the 216 on the FCB Radio Network. Hello, hello, hello. This is Views with Ashley Evans, and this is your host, Ashley Evans. I am glad to be here with you all today Um, and hope this is finding you well and in a a good state this uh, morning. So uh, today, well, I think we're going to get into, this is the first time that we've recorded since the Oscars and the slap that was heard or seen around the world. Um, We're not really going to get into today the actual slap, but we're going to get into kind of what that um, slap has debated. So um, just get on in, come on in, sit down, and let's think through um, what we've got going on here. Um, That is always our goal. Our goal is not to necessarily sway opinions one way or another, but to actually just think through some of the things that we're, we are seeing and going through in popular media and um, stuff that's related to black culture and politics. So um, if you have any suggestions and any comments or thoughts about what we have been talking about or what we should be talking about, please feel free to give us a call at 216-302-4139. And on that phone line, you can leave your comments about about our previous shows or you can give us suggestions. 
If you would like to email us, please email us at views216fcb at gmail.com. That's views216fcb at gmail.com. So, all right. So we're getting into the Oscars. And what we really want to talk about today is respectability politics. And um, a lot of this, a lot of what comes to my mind often is about, um, you know, talking about what things really are and what they mean. We hear these um, tags in the media or in sometimes in these 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 buzzwords, I should say, uh, sometimes in conversations in the media when we're out and about. And I'm always wondering, uh, at least for myself sometimes, do I always have the right context of what people are talking about. Um, do I understand fully what these things mean? Um, as a general person with education and have gone through places where we've talked about, I've talked about culture heavily and have some um, uh, theoretical constructs, I often believe I understand what's happening. But sometimes I think I have to check myself. Um, And I'm a big kind of wordsmith. And I also sometimes try to get down to the root of the meaning of words. Um, So I think it's often important to step back and say, what are we really saying when we throw these buzzwords out? Um, And what, what do we need to think about further? So anyway, so that's what we're really talking about here today. So we all watched the Grammys um, last week, a couple weeks ago at this point. And um, I'll be honest, I was not watching the full show. I just so happened to turn in for a moment. I'm not necessarily a, an award show type of girl, um, especially just sitting to to listen. I often maybe go into the red carpet to see what folks have on for a second or maybe to see some of the entertainment here and there. But um, I have not in a very long time sat down and watch a whole show. So again, in this sense, that was not my intention. But I tuned in as uh, Coda was getting a lot of the awards. So this was a a highly celebrated movie that was on Apple TV um, that documented um, the, a story of deaf parents who were a uh, coming of age story of actually the child who were, was a child of deaf, of deaf parents and how that affected her. So that's from what I understand. I have not seen the, uh, the movie. I don't have Apple TV. I do have a limit on how many um, <laughs> how many apps and subscriptions that I, I buy to have my entertainment at this point. So Apple TV is not one of those things on the list. I'm not an Apple, Apple fan. Anyway, I am an Android, uh, kind of girl. So, um, I work my way around Apple, so I haven't seen that movie, but this is not what we're talking about, but that's what I understand the movie to be about. It's a coming of age story of a child who is a child of deaf parents. So they made phenomenal history that night by winning several awards and best actor awards, um, because these were actually members of the deaf community, um, who were portraying the, who were the actors and portraying and, and portrayed in the story, um, and it was bringing to light a lot of their um, 
glories and triumphs and, and struggles as well. So just after that, um, I believe not too long after that, before I had the chance to grab the remote and something in my head said, uh, you're getting ready to change this channel. That's probably enough. Um, Chris Rock came on. And so I hadn't, I was slow getting the remote (laughs) and, um, I probably was doing something like the rest of us do, like, you know, playing on the phone while watching TV, that type of thing. And, um, somewhat heard the joke, but didn't process it. Um, and his introduction, but I got that he said something to Jada or about Jada. I heard the, you know, Jada, I love you kind of thing. So I knew something was directed to Jada. And then I heard the uh-oh when Will was approaching him. And it all seemed like everything was going on in comedic fashion, even the way that Will Smith kind of walked up there. And... um Then there was the slap and I was really confused. Like a lot of people that I was like, is this scripted? Is something else getting ready to happen here? And then of course, too, to me in a goofy manner, um, Will walked away and Chris was left there kind of stunned. And then all of a sudden it was the bleep. Um, And so it obviously in American television we have delays so that anything that might be happening or not FCC approved um, can be censored and so the bleep was even more confusing immediately in the immediate moment because it really did leave you with trying to figure out what in the world was happening at the moment and um, but it did pull you in a little bit to say something was happening more than just this comedic skit. So, um, of course, like all, like most of us, I then went to Facebook. I'm not a tweeter. I have a Twitter account, but I'm just not a tweeter. Most of anything that I put on social either comes from Instagram or Facebook. So I went to Facebook, like trying to figure this out with the rest of the world. Um, And then the rest of my night that evening was about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. And whether it was real, whether it was justified, what was, you know, just processing really what happened. And and again, from the start to finish, the start was like, is this the, the, the first instinct was, is this real? Is this part of the joke? Um... There did not seem to be any real consequence for anything. So there was like no police, nobody being escorted, nothing going on, you know, who knew what was going to, this was going to happen and who planned for this, you know, all of those things. And then, then, um, somewhat of the comments of how do you feel about what happened and whether or not what happened was right or wrong. So. In that conversation, within that evening and definitely going into the next day, a lot of people seem to be doing the very same thing. And with that, I noticed that the idea of respectability came out in those comments. And, um, you know, conversations about whether or not we were canceling Will Smith, 
whether or not we aligned with them. There was conversation um, even about, you know, is this reflective of, of black people and behavior, like normalized behavior in a way? Um, I can't remember who was quoted. It was a, a famous, uh, I want to say it was a rapper if I remember, but I, I, I can't remember. It's, it's, this is not something I pulled for this show. But somebody had made the statement to say that, um, you know, sometimes people get slapped. So in that converse, in that piece of conversation, it was almost saying like this is a normal kind of activity that we see as black folks um, and 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 in the street outside of Hollywood, out uh, in real life, basically um, outside of these institutional structures that this is just kind of life. Right. So. um Today, the question is, is this life? Is this, is this, was this a situation of respectability politics or a situation of respect, which is two different things um, or in upholding kind of social norms and um, requiring that everybody in this society, particularly in the United States of America, has some... um, we have some social standards that we want to abide by. And so those folks that are are um, critical of Will Smith, um, are they are they looking in through the eyesight, through the lens of white supremacy, or are they saying in general from from a societal standpoint and decency of of just people, you know, treating people with dignity and decency, no matter what the situation is, this should not have happened. So what I would say, just as far as my opinion is concerned, is that um, from a level of societal societal norms, this should not have happened. Um, there are consequences of um, our actions and the consequences at least have been seen for Will at this point with his now, which has been announced with his 10-year um, ban. But at the same time, there could have been other tragic consequences. Um, and as a person who often is in a place where I am teaching children um, and trying to to mediate situations in, in greater community, um, this is something that is not happening. And it's always taught that even though they're angry, even though maybe at the moment something happened, um, something, or it didn't seem to be that big of a deal, that we can't always predict the outcomes. Um, I do even think that somebody, there was another kind of popular tweet that came out that said, you know, Will could have killed them. And the fact of the matter is, is that that is true. There are things, freak accidents um, and that happen just by, by our reactions. Things that, you know, we're, oh, we're just going to go teach him a lesson or her a lesson by, uh, by just telling him to stop and in one way or another, but not imagining that there could be long lasting residual consequences, if that makes sense. 
Um, as far as Chris Rock is concerned, from a naturalista, myself, and um, so a person who who is in a place that I I do not, um, I guess, wear my hair and what has been a standardized way. Um, I'm often seen in a curly fro and a person that has had to face some of the the questions and the thought processes, especially from men about what they think uh, is acceptable or not acceptable. You know, I've had the questions of being in a place um where, you know, is my hair something that, um, is my hair something that limits my professional opportunities? Um, I will say hair is a sensitive situation, um, for many. And so I have not had, I don't have alopecia or an issue growing hair in any way. Um, and I, but I do know that many black women deal with that, um, so alopecia as in, I guess in this case that, uh, Jada is dealing with, um, as an immune system and then uh, an immune response. And then, um, alopecia is also sometimes a consequence of how we style our hair. Um, I am sure that I would have some real sensitivities um, about my hair um, if I was going through the situation. But I do not know even for myself if that is an issue that I would want to um, really seen as violent. I will, I will, I will even give an example of my, of a hair story that actually happened recently that I was very angry about, but I was clear in that moment that, um, and it, and I did not have a man with me. So in that situation, it would have been just me being able to defend myself. Um, but I was clear in that moment that violence, even though, you know, you might feel like slapping somebody, but that was not the issue. And that this was just shortly after my most recent campaign. And I actually went on to support another candidate and had been at his watch party. And another young man um, who seemingly had been wanting to get some attention from me from a, for a while, uh, didn't seem to get that attention he wanted at that moment. And my hair was in its natural state in what's called flat twist. And he decided, I, I can't remember what was said exactly, but he decided to basically call me Seely. And for those of you that don't know, Seely is um, the character in a, uh, the color purple, the main character in the color, the story, the color purple and was portrayed by Whoopi Goldberg. And in that portrayal, just historically, um, this character Seely was not the most, uh, did not stand out to anyone as the most beautiful person in the world. 
And sometimes, particularly by the way her hair was styled and because of the way her hair is styled. And this is a a daily, daily situation for black women, starting from childhood in terms of their ability to grow hair, the ability to have hair styled and neat and cute and pretty or, you know, whatever. There's there's so many things that that black women do go through in reference to their hair and whether it can be thick and long, luxurious or whatever. Um, so the fact that, um, I wear my hair in, in this natural state is often pretty revolutionary. And there are, are, there's a growing, growing population. I think it's a growing population every day to where we see or seeing more afros and curls in the media, more products for them. But this is, this is new. That's new. That's new. That, that has happened in the last 10 to 15 years. And so um, those of us who are 25 and over, um, or really regardless, um, black women deal with this daily. Um, But definitely those of of us who are 25 and over um, have had some real serious experiences with feeling like they were... um, out of place or not, not that of standard beauty. Um, because of their hair. So, um, I do empathize with Jada. I, I say that to say I empathize with Jada in that this is a struggle to be able to go out and feel confident and feel good about yourself without having, um, hair in a style that is is customary and makes you feel b- beautiful. I mean, there are, are have been places that people I've I've been told in in church settings that I should not cut my hair because um, hair is your beauty and your glory, and I'd be cursed by God if I cut my hair. Things like that. So hair is hair is just I just say all that to say hair is a big deal. It is a big deal. I would imagine that black men even don't necessarily have the sensitivity to hair. Um, And I would imagine that Jada would have felt some kind of way. And she visibly, again, rolled her eyes or whatever. But the situation should have been handled differently, even by her husband, even in her husband defending her. You can defend me in a different way, in a different space. Um, I think I would not have, and this definitely would not have been as much of a discussion if Will had went up on the stage and used his words to let Chris Rock know that he was out of place. Um, even if there were cuss words, as he eventually did, but if he used words, um, he would have been able to defend his wife and um, keep whatever credibility that he may or may not have lost. Now, and that is also up for debate. And that's not really where I'm at and where I'm having this conversation from. I still respect Will Smith and all the work that he's done. Um, I respect Chris Rock and the work that he's done. 
Um, I do feel like he's um, been instrumental in Black entertainment. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. These days, it seems like everybody's talking, but no one is actually listening to the things they're saying. Critical thinking isn't dead, but it's definitely low on oxygen. Join me, Kira Davis, on Just Listen to Yourself every week as we reason through issues big and small, critique our own ideas, and learn to draw our talking points all the way out to their logical conclusions. Subscribe to Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, an FCB radio podcast on Apple, on Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so, you know, again, this is not anything that one mistake should discredit everything else that he has done or tried to do and attempted to do. Um, I do also think that there are um, situations going on at home in his marriage that he might be um, seriously working through. Um, And that's a whole nother conversation as well. So, um, you know, we did see some vulnerability in Will. um, And and I think we've seen a little bit of vulnerability uh, in other spaces from him uh, for a little while now. Um, So this is, I don't want to say the culmination of it because um, we don't know when he, he is going to be finished with this process as he kind of alluded to in his initial apology that there's are things happening um and places that he is trying to go to internally from my what I feel like is a, a spiritual and psychological place um and there is a so there is humanness to will and I get that part but in our humanness too we also have to try our best to be forward thinking Um, and this is something that is, I think, across the board for everyone. This is not, that's not based upon being black or white, but I will acknowledge that there is a real issue with 
um, being overly critical when you as a black person show emotion that is human. Um, so like having being angry when you have the right to be angry and being criticized for the anger um, because you're black is is an issue. So that's where we're really going here today. Um, so in terms of respectability comp- politics, like, first of all, uh, obviously the question is, what is it? Um, what is, what is respectability politics all together? So to, to define what it is, I'm going to give... Uh, the definition that is on studio ATAO.org, um, where they have a whole analysis of respectability politics and a way to understand it. So to begin with, in their overview, they define respectability politics and respectability narratives. So it says, respectability narratives are representations of marginalized individuals meant to depict them as sharing similar traits, values, and morals that align with the dominant group's definition of respectability. For example, the use of cap and gowns to portray dreamers as well-educated, fluent in English and law-abiding has become ubiquitous at rallies and demonstrations in support of immigration reform for DREAMers. The attire signals DREAMers' commitment to education and the American dream. This is used to counteract negative stereotypes or problem narratives of undocumented immigrants as a financial strain on the government. Respectability politics, on the other hand, is a school of thought that utilizes respectability narratives as the basis for enacting social, political, and legal change. Throughout the U.S. history, activists and legislators have pointed to the similarities between the dominant and marginalized groups to provide legal rationale for giving the marginalized group equal rights like citizenship or pay. For example, when lawyer Raymond Alexander was a student at Harvard Law School in 1921, the president of the university had decided to bar black students from residence in the freshman dormitories. Alexander argued against this in the journal Opportunity by pointing out how the black students being excluded were similar to their white counterparts and exemplified the most traditional of Harvard's values with fathers who were lawyers and doctors. Because of these parallels and respectability, black students should also have the right to be housed in the dorms. The major difference between respectability politics and respectability narratives is that respectability narratives are an accumulation of individual ideas about a group or identity, while respectability politics is the strategic use of these narratives to advocate for specific political outcomes. Even when respectability narratives are created without a political intent in mind, they can still grow to have social, culture, social, culture, and political consequences 
other perceptions of the group being described by these narratives. All right. So effectively, to give a definition here, um, what this is saying is that respectability politics um, are the use of these narratives um, that cat that um, categorize a marginalized group as uh, respectable that highlights them that highlights them as respectable or just as um, deserving just as deserving as the majority population. Um, so we see respectability politics happening in many different areas. So as I just did some research for this show, um, we like, like the example we just used immediately, we were talking about immigration and the fact that respectability uh, politics uh, tries to use um, the idea of dreamers um, working in our dominant society, society working towards education, being productive citizens as reasoning for them to have um, access and, and rights to be um, here in the United States. So we see it done in, in immigrants. Um, I've came across some examples when we talk about it it, with sexual and women's rights. So in terms of a conversation about uh, rape narratives and and women's respectability, especially in dress and um, whether or not women ask for certain um, behaviors from men because of the way they dress and or act in their accusations of, of being either harassed or raped. Um, we also see this in, have seen it in LGBTQ rights. So the parallel that, um, LGBTQ, um, people just want to live just like the dominant society, and in this case, heterosexual um, people. They they just want to be loved. They just want to have their families. They just want to have that right to, to privacy and, uh, and other things, um, just like the dominant society. So that is the key to respectability, is the just like. We're only um, asking for the same things because we are like everyone else. Um, so Damon Young, um, defines respectability politics in his article, the definition, danger, and disease of respectability politics explained. He defines it as it's generally defined as what happens when minority and or marginalized groups are told or teach themselves that in order to receive better treatment from the group in power, they must behave better. As alluded to earlier, it's a concept that has existed within Black America since Black people have been in America. The idea that if we walk a little straighter 
and write a little neater and speak a little clearer, then white people would treat us better. This belief has resulted in some of the most forgettable parts of black history. The Black History Month lessons we really, 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 really don't want to be taught. Okay, Uh, let's see what other definitions are out here that may be of use. Um, Frederick C. Harris says that respectability is the sort of rules devised by black elites with the backing of the state and the support of ordinary blacks who believe in their efficiency. Of efficacy, sorry, have their origins in the turn of the 20th century black middle class ideology, the politics of respectability. So, again, um, when we are directly talking here about black people, it is the idea that if we are more like um, whites, if we know how to carry ourselves better in a respectable manner as we go to and fro in our daily lives, then we are less likely to um, have any of the um, issues of racism be be imposed on us. So we would, if we have um, better and further education and we can work through their, their, our school systems, then we therefore are better qualified for jobs and better able to coexist with whites. Um, if we walk down the street, um, in a dignified manner, then we also are less likely to be accosted or, or infringed upon because, um, we, we look a certain way. So we, we see this often in many different places, um, There are oftentimes we see this in areas of criminal justice reform. And sometimes this is also something that um, pits uh, different generations against each other. Um, So let me, I guess, go back, take a step back for a second and really um, kind of, again, harp upon that respectability politics is an idea that has come out of black liberation. Um, It is an idea that, um, so this is not something that has necessarily been um, imposed on us, but it is the idea that uh, that black people, and this particularly, um, a lot of the research that I did particularly identified it from the women's movement in the black um, Baptist church that says that if we are better or different and more like them, then they will treat us better. So again, it's, it's trying to um, be able to show that we are worthy of respect. So, you know, we, we've seen this, had this conversation where, um, you know, Bill Cosby talked about, you know, guys walking down the street with their pants up. So if we were able to pull our pants up and put on a belt, 
we'd be more respectable if we talked in a manner that showed that we clearly have mastered what I have said often, the King's English. I have mastered the King's English. Um, then we show that we're worthy of respect. Um, and so it, it derived there, but it is something that I believe as a whole has become socially acceptable. So that also kind of highlights who in black history that we feel like we honor often. So, um, uh, the example that's often given is the difference between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X who served the black community and really from the same place. And I believe, and I personally believe with the same heart, but the methods were different. And then, and based on the established norms of the higher society, the one that is more celebrated is the one that seemed to have the more respectable politics. Okay, the respectable methods. So the the method and thought process of nonviolence um, is something that is socially acceptable across spectrum and socially acceptable from the from the dominant white culture versus any means necessary. Even though Malcolm was saying, "I'm willing to protect," and not saying, "I'm going to attack," right? And protecting yourself is also an American virtue. However, what became more socially acceptable and is still very socially acceptable when we talk about uh, movements of the oppressed and how we demonstrate our discontent in in this country is that of nonviolence. If there's any level of um, frustration shown, um, anger shown, um, either by, um, uprising, um, fierceful, fierceful tones in conversations. Uh, like I'll give an example that just happened here in Cleveland. Um, we had the black lives, a black lives matter protest, where there was damage done to some area stores, um, to some cars and things that would be quote unquote deemed a riot in, in some ways. And one of the young men were just uh, concluded his trial and sentenced to four years for his participation in damaging a cupcake shop. He was he sentenced to four years in jail. So that's one thing. He was he was already punished for that and we're and not getting into the details right now of how that situation arose, but he further is now up on some different charges and in a little bit um more trouble because he flicked off a reporter and his camera. So obviously, first of all, um, there is some punishment because of the initial reaction to anger, right? Uh, And angry, anger and the climate that he was protesting against. But now, because he may be frustrated or angry or felt like he was treated unfairly, etc. through this process, and he showed that in a gesture, that he's even potentially 
going to face further issues in the criminal court, not like verbal condemnation, but further issues for further criminal charges. So that is something to that says, you know, well, he is not because of his actions and how he has demonstrated his discontent with the systems that he has protested. He is not worthy of equal rights, basically. His rights are even more limited. And I think we can see that a lot of times in anyone who is, is involved in the criminal justice system. Definitely. Um, especially even in the in the in the issues that we talk about when they have served time for whatever they may have done that may have been wrong, but how that continues to affect the rest of their lives, not just the five or 10 year terms and sentences that they've been given, but the rest of their lives and their ability to then be able to um, then be able to be fully functioning members of society when they come back. And so let's not even talk about how they may have gotten there, but after they have served their sentences and come back. So this is a lot of what's often um, where respectability politics often come in. Um, And again, the point of that is that it, it is often something that is used within community as a strategy to try to gain more rights. But it's simply defined as trying to show folks that we are more deserving. We are deserving of those rights and we want you to be able to see it. Um, So the problem with this effectively though is that um, it doesn't work. Respectability policies does not tend to work. Um, And I guess the one of the questions that came to me, however, and I kind of started this off too is, you know, is respectability politics about social norms and, and, And so, like I said, like if we feel that Will Smith, for example, was wrong because we shouldn't use violence, is that us automatically being um, using respectability politics or narratives because he's a black man? But so it's not that it is it is the the next step into the conversation of saying, well, by his actions, he has then proven to folks that black people cannot be invited to the table, that we're not deserving to the table. He's showing, he's proving the, the naysayers wrong, right, excuse me. He's, they're proving the naysayers right by his actions. So that is where the issue comes in. Not so much saying, you know, he was wrong. You don't treat another human being like that. Full stop, that's just what it is, right? It is saying that, you know, his actions have um, somehow disgraced the rest of the black community. Um, so let's see, there are a couple things that I wanted to read, a couple people who made comments in reference to that directly. 
Um, so Bernice King, for example, and this is the daughter of Martin Luther King, says anybody who thinks black people look bad after the Oscars already thought black people look bad. Respectability doesn't cure racism. Be loved. But please don't think that a person who uses one moment to malign a whole group of people did not do so before that moment. Okay, so if this is, you know, so again, for those of us who said, you know, well, Will Smith just he was wrong. Will Smith didn't appropriately react. Will Smith um, disgraced himself. That is an issue of social norms. It's not an issue of respectability. But when we got to the place that said, oh, with Smith and took the whole community back, we, you know, we're not going to be invited to the table again. They already didn't want us there. That is the conversation that we're talking about. Um, So Bernice King further says her second tweet says, I encourage engaging with respect, but respectability, which is different, doesn't cure racism. Racism has no regard for respectability. Reminder, my father was assassinated while wearing a suit. Let's be well because our wellness matters, not because the white gaze matters. Okay. Um, So, again, I think that pretty much um, sums up what there is to say about respectability. And um, I also think whether or not there is an, there is a space for respectability politics. Um, So, again, going into this question for myself, it was a question of, you know, when we decide that we want to <clears throat> critique someone in their behavior or let them know that a certain behavior is not something that we are, um, that we expect from them, um, is that respectability politics automatically? <clears throat> And so the conclusion for me is that no, holding people to a standard is not necessarily about respectability politics and as people in general. But the issue becomes when we hold people to a standard because somebody is watching. So that is, you know, just saying it that way to me, it resonates that idea of integrity. So as a people of integrity, I feel like black people should decide for themselves what it is that we require of each other. And that is okay. And so therefore, if we have issue with the way that someone is behaving, because we as a collective have decided and have defined that that is not representative of the black community, then that is okay. Because we got to decide who we want to be and how we want to be, what standards are okay for us and what represents us. And so we get to decide what doesn't. So if we say to someone that your behavior is not X, Y, Z or indicative of what we expect in this community, then therefore 
that is okay. But if we turn around and we've all had this situation, I know we have. If you have parents, definitely that are over the age of 35, you've heard it. The idea that because someone is watching, and so this is some, a way to generalize it for any marginalized group, be some, because someone is watching, that you will then discredit the whole entire community because of your bad behavior. That is the issue. That is the issue, not individually um, asking people to be accountable for themselves. But saying that as that representative, you know, you are reflective of, of, of what you're not deserving of the respect of the other community. So in this case, Black folks saying that you're not, and you, you know, it's black folks saying like, well, what, what would the white people think? You out here cutting up, embarrassing me in front of all these white folks. We've heard it, y'all. We've heard it, right? Embarrassing me in front of these people. So not to say your behavior just in general is okay. You know, to the idea of even that, for example, and I, and I even thought it. When Puffy came out on stage at the Oscars, he said, well, we'll handle this. Um, We're going to make this right at the after party. And so I, I had to, I have to question. And I, so I still am questioning this idea that I said, well, if he handled it at the after party in the first place, I would have felt better about that. So if Will... And Chris Rock got into some kind of fight at the after party because of what he said on stage. I would have felt better about that. And I think the truth of the matter is I would have. And that's just real. I would have. If it was just news that said, oh, they, you know, afterwards got into a tussle. We would have said, oh, damn, you know, but it would have been okay. Um. Because it wasn't on that Oscar stage. It wasn't a private moment. So, you know, the, re the reason why I even say in this moment that I have to check myself is I still didn't, in that, in that scenario, it's not necessarily checking the violence. It's checking who sees and the represent representation. Um, so instead of just as a whole saying, you know, um, he just simply shouldn't have put his hands on him. No matter what he said, he shouldn't have put his hands on him, you know? And that is, a, and I think that is an established social norm and that's an okay social norm to say, you know, reacting to someone's words is not okay by reacting in violence, even when you feel like it. You have to find another way to express your anger. That's an okay established social norm. But the, the norm that says, you know, when you go out there and you do that in front of white people, it makes us look bad. That is the issue. So I will say I'm going to wrap it up on that note. That's all I got for you. Um, I hope that this is explaining 
respectability politics for you a little bit and giving you something to to think about, to chew on in terms of um, just how we go about um, our continued liberation as black people. And even those of us in other marginalized um, groups. Um, And I know that we have a lot of um, intersectionality and cross identity. So this this goes into a lot of places. Um, So I just want to leave you with that. And again, if you have anything to say, any suggestions, give me a call at 216-302-4139. That's 216-302-4139. Um, just a reminder that the book of the month um, is, uh, what is the book of the month? I don't forgot that fast. Um, Go Tell on the Mountain by James Baldwin. So we are we are reading the historic author James Baldwin this month, Go Tell on the Mountain. If you are at all interested in being in on that conversation, uh, feel free to find Reading and Revolution on Facebook. It's a Facebook group group uh reading and revolution neighborhood book club so i thank you so much for listening you guys have a great next couple of weeks bye the fcb radio network first class broadcasting worldwide lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.